0: It's Black Friday weekend, and that can only mean one thing. Vinegar Syndrome's colossal Black Friday sales happening right now until 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time on Monday the 29th. Indulge in all the savings, such as 50% off on nearly every single title in Vinegar Syndrome's nearly 400-releasing catalog, plus huge discounts on dozens of great films from their vast array of partner labels. You can be the first on your block to own their stunning new editions of Flesh for Frankenstein, Daria Argento's Trauma, and William Malone's Creature, plus the worldwide Blu-ray debut of the sci-fi-infused Revenge Rarity, Steel and Lace, along with the worldwide UHD and Blu-ray debut of Kerman Yao's Notorious Ebola Syndrome, presented fully uncut and from a brand new 4K restoration. While you're stocking your cart, consider signing up for the Legendary Vinegar Syndrome subscription package, which will secure you every single 2022 Vinegar Syndrome release plus exclusive 50% off coupons, good for all Vinegar Syndrome sub-brand and partner label release to come out in 2022. It's like Black Friday all year round and is only available during the set. So what are you waiting for? If it's horror, slashers, exploitation, and drive-in classics you crave, get on over to www.vinegarsyndrome.com right now.
1: Tonight's episode is also brought to you by Fright Rags. Now in their 18th year, Fright Rags has been bringing you the best in horror apparel and accessories since 2003, offering a wide range of products from your favorite creature features, slasher flicks, and cult classics. Officially licensed collections include hit titles like Halloween Kills, John Carpenter's The Thing, The Evil Dead, Creepshow Jaws, and so many more. Get ready for the biggest sale of the year. After you're done feasting on turkey and pie, stay up for our our annual Black Friday sale and gobble up some more goodies at crazy low prices. Shirts as low as $10 and deep discounts on tons of other items. The sale begins Friday, November 26th at 12.01 a.m. Eastern Time at bright ragscom Quantities are limited. Colors of the Dark listeners can get an additional 10% off when they use the code DARK10 at checkout. That is D-A-R-K-10 at checkout. For an additional 10% off of those sweet Black Friday deals at Fright-Rags.com. Tonight's episode is also brought to you by Fangoria Magazine. In 1979, the first issue of Fangoria was released onto the world, and it has been over 40 years, and Fangoria is better than ever. Each issue bringing you 100 pages of exclusive, carefully curated content honoring horrors past, present, and future. These articles and interviews will never be published online, so the only way to read them is by getting your hands on a physical, collectible copy of your own. We can't give anything away because we want the experience. Experience to be a surprise, but we can safely say you do not want to miss a single page. Head to Fangoria.com to learn more and to subscribe. And while you're there, make sure to enter promo code COLORS, that is C-O-L-O-R-S, COLORS, to save 25% off your yearly subscription. Welcome to Colors of the Dark. My name is Rebecca McKendry, and with me is my co-host, Elric Kane. What's up?
0: I'm just a co-host.
1: I'm just a co-host,
0: dude. That's what I do. I'm a (laughs) co-host for Rent, multiple shows. I'm just the co-host guy.
1: Hashtag always be podcasting. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Definitely the case this week.
1: Yeah, no doubt. That looks scotchy. What are you drinking?
0: It is exactly scotchy. Ah, I have a peppermint Uh, uh, tea. It's actually JMV, So I am. Wow. That is adjacent. super on
1: brand. Um, uh-huh. I grew my own peppermint. Mm. That's kind of cool. Nowhere
0: though. near as cool. I know. Uh,
1: I know. You probably be in an, an Italian I've movie. Said. <laughs> admittedly, the only reason I grow peppermint is that shit grows like a weed. Like I planted one plant like five years ago and uh-huh. I can't kill it. Like it does not die. Um, and it's basically taken over my yard. So now I, I have my own peppermint
0: whenever That's I want. That's pretty cool. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's Wait, what's cool. in
0: peppermint tea though? Like just peppermint and what? Just peppermint. Water. Oh, that's all you do. And then it's just hot water. And then hot
1: water hot and peppermint. So there's yeah. no
0: tea and tea. There's just hot water and the fusion becomes tea. Or tea where's the tea part?
1: Defined by diffusing something in water. This is a really boring horror podcast. Oh, I um, didn't know because, that. Yeah, it's it's any type of leaves dissolved in water. And I don't even think it has to be leaves because like I some of the teas I get have had, like whole fruits in them. Um, yeah. And things like that. And then some of them like Earl Grey is black tea and bergamot oil. I'm going to shut up now.
0: <laughs> yes, I do like it, like it. Anyway, welcome to our tea podcast about fusion. Um, very exciting. Uh, yes, we're, we're reaching the end of the year and things that are getting That is some batty.
1: Patreon level of discussion yes. we just had. We usually save that for like our Patreon show where people have yeah. to pay $5 to listen to us talk about that shit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> to talk about the dishes, basically, yes. Uh, now that, yeah, it does, it gets weird there, but also can get banal in that way, and that's good. Yes. It's a mixer.
1: <laughs> I watched some cool stuff this week that I'm kind of excited about. Um, and I'm also excited in general about the Thanksgiving holiday because, well, one, Vinegar Syndrome's Black Friday sale um, mm-hmm. I'm definitely picking up trauma, but, um, I also have a brand new stack of graphic novels that I am mm. so excited to dig into. So I'm hoping to read a bunch during the holiday.
0: I still want to come over and borrow autumnal.
1: Oh, definitely. Autumnal. I'll come uh, Maybe I'll we come back. Know how you, to yeah, say it. <laughs>
0: the,
1: the author noted on Twitter that we had, we had learned to say it properly. So autumnal, um, uh, no, just I've quickly. Got, I
0: will. Oh, sorry.
1: I was just gonna. I got a stack of stuff from Dark Horse, and I've got something called Thorn Hill, which I think is YA, but I started it last night, and it kicks ass. Um, so yeah, I've got a bunch of stuff I'm gonna read over the holiday.
0: That one looks huge, like a. Book. It
1: is. It's like a. T- it is a book. It's a book. YA's it's a can't even lift that novel. It's so
0: <laughs> Um, well I I just quick shout out to uh, again I've I've been keeping up to date with uh, the TV show Behind the Monsters on Mm Shudder because uh, I don't usually like to watch things that we are part of you know sometimes because that's weird but I've been enjoying the series and I thought the Nightmare on Elm Street episode was particularly good that was the last one it was a lot of fun it's funny when you do these things you don't know what you're going to be you talk about a lot of things you don't know what you're going to be clipped saying but suddenly suddenly, for the rest of history I'm the biggest Nightmare 2 fan (laughs) And, I, and no one was more surprised than me to hear me as the main person. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I like that movie, but I don't remember talking about it. Oh, well, I guess that's there forever now.
1: So I was on, was um, fun. I did that one, and then I also did the Eli Roth History of Horror this round.
0: Oh, well, I was and about then, to say that. I just watched you on those. I've just been <laughs> catching up to those, so.
1: Yeah, the Eli Roth History of Horror, and somebody tweeted at me, and it was very much like, thank you for your expertise on Mass. And all of a sudden, yeah. I was like, I'm not a fucking expert on Quatermass. I just love the films, but you it was just very started much this like, year. <laughs> I know, like I'm such like a, you know an entry level Quatermass fan, yeah. um, but it was very much like you know thank you for your expert level commentary on Quatermass. So um, in
0: in yeah, America, no, that makes me. Is- I'm not up to that one yet. I haven't seen you. I think Scientists is next. I just That's watched the Mad Psychics, Scientist one, and you're good on one of the ones before that. that I was think was I did
1: invasions. Because- Infections. infection
0: infection infection yeah. was the one i expected that i would see you on anyway because that seems that's something i've heard you talk about a lot of you and that was a good one terms. that was a very interesting one good to see contagion uh people catch up to uh, soderbergh's very depressing uh, all too close to home movie you know it's pretty I wild i
1: watched contagion for again at the top of the pandemic which is weird because i yeah. and i even talked about this um on our podcast at the time that it was bizarre how right as the pandemic was starting, I binged all of these pandemic horror movies like I'm fucking poking the wound. um but i I exactly
0: what you said in the episode
1: i think i did (laughs) um it was just
0: good that you're on point it's true
1: that's exactly what it was but um yeah yeah. and contagion man that shit fucked me up like you know at the time where we had no idea where this is going and we still don't really have an idea where this is going um you know how many different versions of this we're gonna see but yeah it i remember watching that and just i didn't even catch the gravity of that film the first time I saw it. I was yeah. just like, oh, this isn't as fun as Outbreak. And that
0: was yeah, it. Yeah. No, totally. But it, it is interesting because that's such a star-studded cast. But like, mm-hmm. when when a famous person dies straight away, it does grab your attention. But um, but yeah, that's fun. So those series, I've just been catching up to the Eli Roth one because I record those and didn't watch any of them at the time. And I, I always like that. Mostly, there'll always be ones where I don't need to hear more on. But there's it is fun when there's a couple titles that you're like, oh, no one ever talks about that. And I always enjoy that. Um, and this one has people like Quentin in it and stuff. So it's got some pretty big level people mixed in there as well, which is mm-hmm. always fun. Um, what are you saying about they, me, Alrick? I, no, I, I see. No, you guys are the... Oh, act, yeah. does, well, let me just... <laughs> does he have a PhD? I don't believe he does. So, you know. Um, <laughs> it's okay. So it's I think okay. you're allowed to... Uh, no, you guys, it's a good mixture is what it's I'm saying.
1: It's nice. And... and um, uh but no, I've enjoyed the uh, all of the ones that have been on Shudder so far. And I'm also keeping yeah, up cool. on Dragula, which has also been a lot of fun. Mm. really good stuff going on there right now.
0: Yeah, I, I, the thing about the Behind the Monsters that's fun is because these are all big ones as I'm watching and I'm thinking to myself, ooh, I can't wait till they do Pumpkinhead and weird like weird oddity monsters that I know probably less about the Origins than these main guys. So if, if they do do another season, I bet that's where it will head. So we'll see how, I, um, how it goes.
1: And I, I've mentioned this to producers of both of those series Um, mm-hmm. that I want some like we've seen ones where it's like, OK, we're going to explore vampires. We're going to explore infections. I want one that's like needy, like goes so deep into Giallo films. Um, mm-hmm. This one, it's going to go so deep into, you know, just these weird little esoteric kind of niche subgenres that that I think um you know, are really exciting to horror fans. Like we've all but seen that's what documentaries. Do. I know, but I want no it one in, will like,
0: listen anymore. Everyone's going to go form. <laughs> no, yeah, like a deep cuts the show for horror would be pretty fun. It'd yeah. be a fun thing, like a version where you're really looking for the the stuff that no one's talking about at the moment. That'd be fun.
1: Call us Shudder. Call us.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> but that said. I watched some fun stuff this week, so I am going to jump in with this one because I know you've watched it on the last show, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I got to say, I was surprisingly shocked with how much I enjoyed the new Paranormal Activity. Um, I honestly, I'd read some of the reviews on Letterboxd, so I went in with pretty low expectations and found myself completely captivated and really engaged and just kind of excited about how freaking different it is from all of them this has nothing to do with any prior incarnations as best i can tell um like mm-hmm. i i was looking for connective tissue between this new one it's, it's
0: possible like whatever happened there's a major event at the end it's possible something like that spins into the other storyline i have no yeah point. i kept i, trying, not, I, I don't like, know the mythology enough for, like, i don't
1: know either like there were you know the names of some of the the beast and supernatural beings that came up. I was like, I don't know if this is part of it or if I'm just missing the name, but whatever it was, it didn't matter. Um, Did you
0: agree that like, I'm curious from what I said last week, did it, if it had been called a rec sequel though, would you have also been like, yeah, it's a rec film. Like, if it had been
1: called a rec sequel, I probably would have approached it with a lot more enthusiasm.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, but it just to really, me. There's certain felt, horror beats that like felt more yeah, like rec than paranormal. It totally paranormal felt film.
1: like more of a rec film, which than is good paranormal. for me. Um, and, and that was very much in the way that the supernatural stuff is conveyed, and um, you know, the way that it, it is kind of aesthetically shown and things like mm. that. Um, the whole concept of this one is there's this girl who is adopted. She's now an adult. Um, She knows nothing about who she is or where she came from until somebody reaches out and says, hey, I think you're related to me. I found you through this um, DNA testing thing Um, and you're actually Amish. And I thought you might like, you know, want to meet your Amish family. And so she um, joins him. He is kind of uh, broken apart from his Amish family, um, but they both decide that they're going to go visit them. And so they travel and she takes her boyfriend with her as to make a documentary of her going and meeting her Amish family for the first time. And she gets there and you can't tell what is like Amish, you know, kind of backwards creepy Um, and what's creepy creepy. Like there's a lot of like we don't go in there. We don't do that. That's not part of our religion. And then there's like really creepy stuff going on, too. Um, I must. The, I
0: only have to stop you because you jumped over the greatest character of the year, in my opinion. The <laughs> he's sound so guy.
1: The sound guy.
0: Usually, okay. So usually in found footage films, there's <laughs> an extra character who makes jokes, and they are the worst thing about the movie. He does the same thing, and he is the best thing about the movie. He is hilarious. Like he's an actual comedian. Somebody told me, and I was every questioning time, if he was great.
1: improvising. Yeah, because oh, there were so, so many times where it. he'll just go off on a speech about why he likes sleeping on the floor. <laughs> And yeah. then, like five minutes later, it is the most hilarious story about sharing a room with his mom that you've ever heard.
0: It yeah, was, was just, just cool. It's a fun character. It was a
1: fun character. Um, so, yeah, this one, and, and I mean, it is still, you know, a found footage film. So, do expect that. But I mean, this was a story I hadn't heard before. It was a creature I wasn't expecting. It went to really creepy places. Um, there were definitely some shots, like when they're lowering down into that well um there's some really really good tense moments um so yeah i really enjoyed this like way more than i expected to
0: yeah there's some crazy stuff the stuff with the church and well there's stuff that like we were hinting at last time but it's been out long enough to like let a little bit of that go but that stuff feels like a different whole different universe really cool original Mm -hmm. there's a couple there's something that happens early on where she goes up into a locked room that was probably her mother and there's like a ghost in there with her and stuff and it's like it's scary for a while but then at a certain point her reactions are so like oh well you know like yeah, it, it was just like one bored. of those kind of false notes yeah it's like a very- now I'm
1: stuck in this room because the yeah. doors locked. No it's not
0: a perfect movie like these kind of movies it's got a lot of those kind of false notes or notes where you'll question the found footage but then at the core it's still fun and and engrossing and you you forget about that. You're just watching another paranormal film for a while. And I think that's yeah, good enough praise, I think.
1: And it was a good snow horror. There were some really good scenes Mm. outside in the snow found footage wise, um, that I really enjoyed kind of how they shot it because you don't see anything. You just see the snow. Um, this is directed by William Eubanks who did underwater last year. One of my favorite films of, Oh God, that was 2019. Um, or was it 2000? No, it was top of 2020. It was right
0: at yeah, the Yeah, I mean, we saw it in or theaters it? before. I can't yeah, even
1: remember. It. It, it's been. Well, it's pre
0: pandemic because it one of Pre pandemic, we yeah. Saw.
1: yeah. Um, and then also uh, written by Chris Landon, who's a friend of the show. So, yeah, it was just a yeah. good combo. So, yeah, that is Paranormal Activity, Next of Kin. Um, And I got it off Amazon Prime for like three bucks.
0: And that one was dropped on Epics when it came out. Like, that's mm-hmm. how they launched it. And I guess this is a new Blumhouse thing because I. I'm not going to spend long on this, because as you know, I don't like uh, hating, but I did see a movie that I, I just deeply disliked, uh, uh, which was, a, it was like one of these, t- It it's a TV, I guess that's what you'd call it now. It's like the equivalent of a TV movie. It's like Blumhouse putting out TV movies on Epic, so it's called House on the Bayou. No, and I it was saw brand-
1: that pop up on my recommendations.
0: Yeah, yeah so, it was just, so just like the Paranormal one was dropped on Epics as an original, this was to um and i watched it it's i called it unfunny games because it's got a kind of a funny games vibe um it's there's just saying it's like every few minutes you think oh it's gonna go this direction and i and it does something that made me just kind of deeper and deeper into like the place where by the end i was like hey this just is not working for me so i don't want to you know i don't want to put everyone off it so mm-hmm. that's not what we do here but it has got some it's it feels like a lifetime movie That i think my biggest issue is it feels kind of cheaply made but then has some interesting ideas in it all the way through so you're kind of you can see them not being fully realized and maybe that's the TV movie I sometimes just worry about the content machine you know when we're making movies without the audience in mind it's just like we need a movie to place for this streamer but I don't sometimes see who was going to watch it, the movie. Um, but again, that's just me. Uh, but and this it, one has, I mean, yeah.
1: even on the Wikipedia page, it calls it a uh, made for television horror film. Yeah.
0: So again, if you go in with that expectation, it might be a little different, but it's, I mean, a cool setting. It's like basically uh, a, a woman who's from Westworld, uh, I've forgotten her name. Uh, one of the Westworld characters, uh, she finds out that her husband has, has been with this other woman at the very start. And she says, we have to, you know, as a family stick together together, for our daughter. So we are going to go away on a family holiday and sort this out. And so, uh, and he's played by Paul Schneider, the guy from the first um, season of channel zero. He's a really Mm -hmm. good actor in this. It doesn't quite work as well. Anyway, they go down there and they are, you know, uh, just clearly not in sync and probably not going to work out. Uh, She keeps, I mean, The words veal cutlets are said every five minutes. I swear to God, in this movie, it became a drinking game with me and Dick. We're like, veal cutlets, veal cutlets. She wants him to get veal cutlets. He doesn't want to get them. So he gets ground beef and it pisses her off. And she goes, what about the veal? Anyway, it keeps going. Um, It's a very strange thing. They're in this giant mansion. Uh, They're in the southern mansion that she is going to be the real estate agent for, but they can stay in it a week before it's for sale. So that's what they're doing down here. And um, they go into a local store and there's this kind of, you know, kind of hick guy and uh, his like what appears to be his grandson he keeps calling the guy grandpappy and uh, they invite themselves over for dinner and more or less funny games their way into the home with them even though they, this couple and their daughter don't want them in there and from there it becomes that kind of a movie there's still a massive twist and it actually has a slightly supernatural bend that never really fully explains it so it's got a lot of other things going on so there's a lot about it that was interesting And that kept me intrigued where it was going, but all the while I I did not enjoy it. And so it's a weird—it's weird, you know. Sometimes I wouldn't even uh, bring it up, but I do think you know some people will dig this one. Um, It had just a strange quality, and maybe you know sometimes it's hard when you don't like the characters, and if they kind of start for right from the start you don't really like anyone (laughs) in the movie uh and sometimes that can be tough to jump in for the ride but anyway that was again it's just showing a trend in these kind of um, some of these big the big companies putting movies directly to some of these you know i wouldn't say obscure but more obscure epics is more obscure than amazon for instance where a lot of their other films have been landing so uh that was a house in the bio didn't sell me
1: this is the first of eight films that Blumhouse Television is developing for Epics Network. I'm reading about it right now. So apparently they have um, seven more coming.
0: Yeah. So and it's again, I'll, and I'll probably watch all of them to see because it yeah. was no, it really wasn't different with the Hulu Into the Dark. I only, to be honest. I think I I only love one of those that I saw. Oh, when really? that was Chelsea's. I
1: liked, I liked a chunk of them like there was a Chelsea's. I
0: really liked. liked it.
1: Yeah. Oh you're I right. You're near, right, actually. I knew you. I there was a I liked Pilgrim. Like there was um a chunk I of I find them interesting. I was, I, don't, I, found I think really amusing. The body every, I liked.
0: Almost everyone was twenty minutes like and that was the format. I guess it was a format issue where the format to me isn't a feature the format 60 minutes and because they're mm-hmm. 80 I always felt that every single movie I was like oh, this doesn't seem like a f-. so but again um you know they're, they're, I obviously this is kind of replacing that model which is cool and look I the reason I do like these models is it gives a lot of uh, uh first time or second time directors mm-hmm. movies to take that next step so that on that side of Definitely. this particular it's one not for me
1: Well I'm intrigued by it because you had me at kind of at funny games and buy you um, so, you know, I'm kinda, I, let's I may, have a dissenting view. Um, so I'm gonna jump to a murder mystery, um, which I will say I debated bringing it up on the show, but I know just from when I've talked about things like this in the past that there's a certain percentage of our listenership that digs these things, um, and this is my weird obsession with watching these murder docu series, um, you know that that pop up on Netflix, and specifically as of late, I have been binging all of these docu-series that take something that we remember from 10 years ago and then tell you about how everybody in the company is murderous bastards. Um, And so, like, two weeks ago, I talked about The Chippendales, Curse of the Chippendales, which was absolutely awesome, and about how, you know, all of this crazy stuff happened with The Chippendales. Um, I watched the Lulu Row one and WeWork. Those ones weren't exactly about murder, but it was still kind of in the same brand. This week, I watched The Curse of Von Dutch, this is a murder one. There is definitely a, mur- a couple murders that take place in this. And this is on Hulu um, and it focuses around the history of the Von Dutch brand. I, do you, you remember Von Dutch, right?
0: K- kind of, but it didn't mean anything to me. Like I remember this logo, but I couldn't even tell you mm-hmm. what kind of clothes they made.
1: So, when I moved to New York in 2004, Von Dutch was huge and everybody was like selling Von Dutch. You could buy it bootleg on the street. Like, it was a really hot brand. Like, I remember going to the West Village um, and it was just everywhere. Um, and I remember I had one friend who really wanted a hat and I always referred to it as Von Douche. Um, hmm. cause it, it, for some reason, it just reminded me of like, that's like Limp Biscuit and things like that. Uh-huh. Um, but it, it was a really hot brand. I remember like that first year that I was living in New York City. So I was definitely intrigued by this. But yeah, it's about the there's like five different people who were part of creating the brand, um, including the original artist Von Dutch that it's based off of. And it is just a roller coaster of everything, of backstabbing. uh, Pablo Escobar is in it at one point. Like it is just drugs, um, you know, business culture backstabbing it's just a wild story and Mm. it definitely does have um some murder elements to it it's just literally a lot of everything so if you do enjoy this kind of tiger king-ish what the fuck and by watching cult of personality gone wrong docuseries i do recommend checking out curse of von dutch i think it was four or five part on um hulu okay
0: yeah, like I, it's, I do, I do always get sucked into those if I watch them. But I know sometimes there's so many parts to them that it can just. Drain the best me. one,
1: I swear, my favorite one from the past couple of years was the McDonald's Monopoly one, um, mm. because that McDonald's Monopoly was such a huge part of my childhood. Where we used to get so into it, and it was like a family activity, collecting the little Monopoly pieces, and the whole fucking thing was rigged. Um, or at least, did like you ever a figure out how to cheat
0: tickets. that? Because no, that's get the- some. <laughs> okay you would get the thing Wait, and then you, you would,
1: know how to cheat it
0: yeah well no you would get the piece so in New Zealand we had it too and you'd get the piece and if you took like your fingernail you could just cut into it and and scratch the one and you'd always get basically scratch the free thing and then you'd scratch it off and get your free whatever it was Big Mac or whatever and for years that's all you know all me and my friends ate we Wait, just lived how- on free you free scratch, scratch it it was like a scratchy monopoly piece and it you would get like if you, you had let's say you had three pieces, if you scratched the right one, it was a free thing. But if everyone had a winner on it.
1: Oh, that often you'd see get it wrong. ours were different. Ours were That's like stickers that you had to open up. So like uh, you no, were no. given one piece. Um yours was more like a lottery ticket. Yeah,
0: it was um, really cool. Like but we lo- totally no. we gamed that shit. There should be a documentary about these children just <laughs> eating McDonald's all the time and <laughs>
1: Wow, um, but that's not horror, so I, I will that's return horror, to right. horror movies now. But no murder mystery. We we definitely sag into our, kind of our docu murder mystery series occasionally.
0: Look, no no, we can be whatever we want to be. <laughs> right now, I could talk about uh, a, a children's film. Even uh, let's do that. Um, even though it's more than a children's film. So uh, just quickly, I'm not going to spoil anything. So don't worry if you haven't seen this yet. But Ghostbusters Afterlife uh, by Jason Reitman, who is the son of the original film's director Ivan Reitman, which is actually a very sweet story he actually sat next to his dad the entire making of this movie which i just think is really cool Um, this is one of those films that i had no expectation i haven't been following it i love i love the first two ghostbusters obviously and um i wanted and my kids haven't seen a movie in the theaters since the pandemic started so this seemed i was kind of eyeing it because they had enjoyed the first one eyeing it as return to theaters um and all i'll say is like you know i see a lot of critics on day one just going out of their way to utterly shit on it um some of you know some people i really like too just so angry all i could see thrown around were the words fan service the fan service that and then i just sat there and and had a smile on my face for two hours and tears in my eyes by the end and it just i think it's not it's an imperfect movie for sure but it's um it it what it really does well is it gets back to a feeling that I had when watching the other films and the feeling of the world and and the basic the only basic story the IMDb version just so people you know know what it is uh, a single mom uh, is getting evicted with her two kids one is the you know the guy from Phil, Finn Wolfhard from Stranger Things so it also brings that audience in it definitely feels like a Stranger Things Ghostbusters for sure uh, and um and her young daughter who uh, looks a lot like Egon um, they go to. Uh, her, her father has died, her estranged father who she really didn't know very well has died uh, at the start of this film and we can kind of guess who that's going to be pretty clearly from the first couple minutes and they drive out to this middle of nowhere uh, they called him the, the dirt farmer because he had a farm of just dirt, nothing else out there and they take his house over and when they get there we realize that it's not worth anything the kids have no idea who their grandfather was and the mom's very much in denial and the best thing that happens is the local high school teacher who kind of starts hitting on their mom is played by Paul Rudd and he is the worst teacher ever. But by that he is (laughs) the greatest teacher you'll ever see. And you will understand why I say that horror fans will get it within seconds because it's horror related. Why he's such a great teacher Uh, is very fun to see him. And I just, you know, after that there's a lot of familiar storylines. And so if there's fan service, it's like returning to origin stories that were in the first, but to me for, for what I wanted it really ticked all the boxes what I was looking for, and I just had a good time. And so I think sometimes, as critics or filmmakers or whatever, it's best to just be able to turn it off for a second and just go. Actually, this is a joyful experience, and I'm going to enjoy it. <laughs> and my kids seem to really dig it. So, and Stay Puff Marshmallow Man was outside taking photos. So you know, Oh, well, that's
1: amazing.
0: Yeah, Aww. so I had fun, and I just also think it was cool that uh, you know Ivan Reitman's son got to direct it. And so to me, there's something uh, you know just fulfilling. If this was the last of it, I'd be I'd be happy. I'd be like, that was good, fun.
1: Well, we're going to see it on Thanksgiving Eve. So, It'll be good um, for that.
0: That'll be a good, good time to go.
1: I'm excited for it. Okay, well, now I'm going to throw us back to the 1980s um, with a little Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge. Oh, yeah. Um, so this was a fancy schmance new release from Arrow with, like, box set and booklet and everything that you know you'd never dream that somebody would put this much time into phantom of the mall um but they did and it looks beautiful um sorry my children are cracking up in the background they
0: love phantom of the mall phantom of the mall it was at your house
1: whole family thinks it's great um so this is 1989 directed by richard friedman The whole thing is, um, well, not the whole thing. I'll say a chunk of it is shot at the Sherman Oaks Galleria. So the mall looks remarkably similar to the Chopping Mall. mall um, Because they're the same place. Apparently, they also use a little bit of like the Westfield Promenade. But yeah, it was primarily Sherman Oaks. Um, The highlight of this movie is Pauly Shore in one of his first roles. He is in this. Um, He plays kind of like the comedic B character. But he's the best character. Something
0: unfamiliar to him?
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, mean, this is like pre the the weasel or whatever he was doing. This is like well before all that. Now, you still see Pauly. He still acts like the stoned out teenage, you know, um, kind of skater dude but at the same time like you understand watching this movie kind of why he ended up becoming a star because much like you watch meg ryan in amityville 3 and go she seems a little, she like she sparkles compared to everyone else in the cast um you see the same thing here where um he is by far the most amusing part of the movie and whereas a lot of the acting i found to be plastic Polly Shore stuff felt really good, which I've never said before in my life. Um, so, yeah, he was he was quite amusing in this. It's also got Morgan Fairchild, Ken Foray. Like it's got definitely a name cast of it and a whole lot of boobs. Um, so there's that like very gratuitous dream sex scenes where just like, oh, oh, I was just having that sex dream again. And she does it like four times and then they're in the dressing room and then they're in the shower like it's way gratuitous. The whole setup is that there is this young teen girl who is dating this hot teen guy. And one night um, there is a fire at his house and his whole family burns to death, him included. But he saves her. He throws her out a window and she is saved. Well, it was a suspicious fire. And a year later, suspiciously, they have built a mall right where his house stand, where his parents were refusing to sell. Um, but since the, the house burned down, they just decided to build the mall there. And Morgan Fairchild now runs the whole mall and Ken Foray is her security guard. And um, suddenly uh, the girl, the, the girlfriend has decided to get a job working at a restaurant in the mall. And suddenly all of these strange things start happening. Like she's finding flowers in her locker and someone's playing her and her old dead boyfriend's song. And the dress that she wanted just instantly appears there for her. And she begins to think that he is still alive, lurking somewhere in the bowels of the mall as a disformed human who comes out to make sure that she is protected. Um, but at the same time, all these weird deaths are happening around the mall. So there's something else going on. Um, it's it's phantom. Of the opera set at a mall, um, as you likely guess, yeah, yeah, (laughs) it's um, it's very much like Phantom of the Opera eighty style, big hair, lots of mall culture, um, Valley girls, because it is you know very much kind of rooted in in Valley culture here in Los Angeles. Um, very few scares, very few gores, but gore, but somehow it was really amusing. Like it was silly over the top eighties fun. And it was a lot of, of kind of amusement in that capacity. Um, so yeah, go into this for the camp level. It was a trip.
0: I have a dark secret. Oh God. This movie. You're in it. Uh, no, years ago I was at a Phil Blankenship programmed all nighter. Mm-hmm. I believe it was at Cinna Family before they changed back to New Bed, but I can't remember. And this movie came on at right at that moment where I usually have to like I usually leave all nighters at about four AM. And this is the one that came on I haven't seen before. And I watched the first like, you know, twenty minutes and I was just like, I can't. Not at four in the morning. I can't. And I left. And so I've never seen this movie. <laughs> I've seen, you know, the start of it. Uh and so, you know, I'll probably get publicly shamed now by Phil, but
1: it's not to- it, it, I, and I saw a lot of people after I posted, I was watching it. I saw a lot of people online comparing it to Chopping Mall. It yeah. is not as fun and over the top as Chopping Mall, par- possibly because it doesn't have killer robots. It just has dude with deformed face showing up. Crampton
0: factor. So he's the crampton. mullet.
1: Yeah. You, you know, him kind of show it up being like, but I love you um and so yeah it's still it's still got some some hilarity and some 80 silliness to it um but yeah i don't think it would keep me up at 4 a.m but that said um this is a fun one for camp factor i do recommend picking up the arrow blue it just looked beautiful so phantom of the mall eric's revenge
0: all right, so one I missed a couple of years ago, and this is definitely one of the best things I've watched this year, period. Uh I missed it a couple of years ago when everyone was raving about it, and I just never really jump when people do that. Uh, but then I read that uh, Timo Chajanto, I'm totally butchering his name, uh, was going to be directing the House of, uh, no, the Train to Busan, which is now going to be Train to New York uh-huh. uh, remake. And so when I read that, I was like, all right, I got to finally watch The Night Comes for Us. Um, holy fucking shit, this movie, it was. I mean, look, I love The Raid, and The Raid, I think, is maybe a little better as like a masterpiece of action cinema, but this one strays so much more horror, and the stunts in this movie, uh, Dick, when I asked him about, he had seen it, and I said to him, he said, there's a couple stunts where you actually believe the person must have died because the stunts are so crazy and I see what he means now. Like somebody like charges you at a window, the camera kind of swivels back showing the person fall out the window to their death. And there's just like, there's no seams to it. You're like, what just happened? Um, So this is a gangland enforcer uh, for the triad in Indonesia, Indonesian film made for Netflix, which is amazing because it's one of the goriest films I've seen in recent years. Um, He, he basically, they have the, these enforcers have, absolute power to do whatever they want and he's in a situation where somebody in a small village town has been stealing and instead of just going after that person they kill everyone in this village and and there's this little girl left and every and all these lackeys are about to kill the little girl and this gangland enforcer who's been acting without a conscience for years sees her grabs the gun off the guy heads towards her and then just has this momentary pause and instead turns and kills the rest of the triads and saves her and that basically now has start uh, sparked, because he's not meant to do that, obviously, that everyone in this town who works for the Tread are going to come and kill him. And he's try- going to try to protect this girl. So it's got a bit of like the professional, like where he's going to, mm-hmm. this bad guy has a change of heart, basically, in the moment where he's like, you know what, I realized what I've been doing all this time, I, I don't want to do it anymore. And so he's going to change. Now he has an old crew who are still on his side, like his old buddies. And they are just such fun characters. And there's some just wild action stuff. Some, some, You know, something that we've seen a big trend of in the last year, especially on Netflix, is these kind of, I'd say, female versions of John Wick, where you'll take the John Wick formula and it's a woman doing it. And the problem sometimes feels, sometimes they just feel like the stories themselves don't don't feel earned and they just feel whatever. This movie, there's like two or three like woman villains especially who are so kick-ass and just they put those other movies to shame because they're scary they're like their martial arts are incredible the gun plays it's just one of those movies that really kind of took my breath away as i was watching it from minute one it's just unrelenting action gore um, and much gorier than say the raid even though the stunts are the same so it's not a horror film it's it, it, it but it's on that borderline for sure mm-hmm. i'd say it strays more horror most of these films and he it's 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 basically the the triad coming to wipe all of them out but like there's this one guy who's like a one leg and he's kind of the junkie member of his old crew who has always been a bit of fuck up he's like this i think they call him white boy john or something and he's just uh, like savage just right taking out you know like 20 of these uh, other guys but yeah no this movie if you haven't seen it like me i know a lot of the people who we know are fans of this one because mm-hmm. i had always people were so excited when timo got this gig and i totally see it here um i'd only seen mostly his short stuff and i've always been impressed but this was a whole nother level this this movie is definitely one of the most kick-ass fun gory brilliant martial arts like a, like the craziest cat 3 hong kong film it, it, and it's, wow. it's made for netflix i mean the fact that it was an original for netflix is just bonkers to me because it's so intense um i think you'd think it's really cool it's it's really good movie so I've had this I had on you I- Yeah, it, was, it had been in mind for years. And I just didn't, you know, sometimes you're just, I reach a stage sometimes where I've run out of shit to watch at a certain period just because I've caught up on all the old stuff. And that's where I was. And I was like looking through all this new stuff and just had no desire to watch it. And I was like, you know what? Let's see what he's got. And he's got all the goods.
1: There's a new TV that. show. Um, and that is called Night the Comes Night- for Us.
0: He also made a couple horror ones recently after this, I think, for Netflix that are before the the devil comes for you or something. The devil takes you to or something. And Mm -hmm. I'd started one that has a very rainy vibe and it didn't really grab me a couple years ago. So I might actually go back now that I've seen this and give it a give it a shot again.
1: You know, you mentioned um, that he's doing the Train to Busan American. Train to New York, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, The Train to Busan guy has a TV show that just came to Netflix this week that um, I haven't seen a lot of people talking about. But one of my students said it was amazing called Hellbound um so I well yeah and
0: you if good. you watch trident of the sun you're like this is so masterfully made yes. like, forgetting just that it's a great movie and it's exciting and mm-hmm. horror it's just brilliantly constructed so you're like whoever this guy is i want to see what he does you know
1: there was even an animated um follow-up to it that yeah, was I didn't see it. great soul it was really good soul station was awesome okay. um so yeah but actually before we stray from netflix this is the last one that i officially watched this week which isn't um, quite hard, but I saw you watched it too. It's a good thriller, so I'm at least going to give it um, uh-huh. an interesting shout out. Did you you watch The Guilty? Right?
0: Yeah. So, and, and then the only reason we will have had different experiences is because this is kind of like a Let the Right One In scenario, where just last year I think it was, or maybe right before the pandemic, there it was a Danish, Danish film thriller, mm-hmm. and it's it's unbelievable. And and so this one is still good and it's doing most of the same beats. It's not like, like the filmmaking is good, but it feels more like a I feel I don't know. You just sometimes feel the difference when an American remake is hitting those same notes. The other the other one wasn't at all sensational. The guy's performance is much more internal. Like he's like Jake Gyllenhaal is doing a lot, right? Like it's a he's, bigger. He's going you know, for thing. it. Like this yeah, is he's like going a big for it.
1: performance. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I, I much preferred the original, but I did think the new one was still good, and I probably would have liked it more had I not seen it. Is my guess.
1: So this one, I I actually um, was recommended this by a student after I was talking about how much I love call center horrors, um, Uh, which is and I can name like all of two of them, like The Call. But then there's a really good segment in 1989's anthology After Midnight, um, where it's a girl with a broken leg who's trapped at a call center as some guy is calling and threatening her. Um, And it's it's just a really tight little thriller of, of this girl trapped at a call center. And um, there's some and good so- ones
0: like where the girls work at like the uh, they're, like the, the sexy call centers, you know, mm-hmm. that used to exist. Like there's like, Out of the Dark and movies like that. They're pretty fun. So.
1: Out of the Dark, yeah. There's yeah. some some definitely some interesting ways to spin it. And I was talking to one of my students because they did a short film about a call center. Mm. And I was talking about how it had been used in horror a lot before. And she was like, have you seen The Guilty? It just came to Netflix. And I was like, okay. Call center. I'm intrigued. And the whole setup of this is that um, Jake Gyllenhaal is a demoted police officer who is now working at a 911 call center. And one night he's pissed off. He hates his job. You get the idea that he killed somebody and is standing trial um, for for manslaughter Um, while the night before this trial, while he's working, he gets a call from a woman who is acting very strangely. And you realize really quickly that she's been abducted and that she can't talk. Um, and that the person who has abducted her thinks she's calling her child, um, when in actuality she has called nine one one and is trying to give messages to the police about where she is, without alerting the per- the guy um, who you think has abducted her, without alerting him that she is actually on the line with the police and. For me, part of it, I was I felt like um not even knowing it was based on a Danish film, within the first fifteen minutes, I was like, this is such a cop-out. This is like a COVID film where, you know, uh, where it's yeah. just <laughs> one one guy the entire time. Cause literally it feels like that because um you spend ninety percent of the movie with just Jake Gyllenhaal while he is on the phone. Um and somehow it gets really captivating. Like it definitely gets engrossing. I have heard from several people that the Danish version just gut wrenches you more. Like this one had some some really good twists, but I've had a number of people say like the Danish version's better.
0: Yeah, like the story, as from what I remember, the story of what he's following and how he pieces together her calls is pretty much the same um but what this one because it's probably because it's american it has to add things like this city's on fire in the background mm-hmm. like la's on fire and there's arson and that these like very sensational elements are around it because maybe they're worried you can't get enough excitement just doing the call but in the other one it's so pared down and it's only like 80 minutes that i found it really you know enthralling in that way so again it's you know these are choices i mean the guy made this is yeah. a good director too he made training day so mm-hmm. um yeah but yeah, yeah no jake's, so- jake's a great actor so
1: Yeah, this one's definitely more thriller, but it does have some pretty horrific twists, I will say. Yeah, yeah, no, it's pretty gross. That's The Guilty on Netflix.
0: Okay, well, yeah, that catches me up with my new... Oh, the only other thing I would give a shout out to is uh, uh, Scott Reynolds, who, uh, you know, is a big part of the new season of Dexter. I'm three episodes Mm -hmm. into the show and enjoying the change. Like, uh, you know, to me, it kind of ran itself... Uh, done by the last season last time at least you know especially by the final for me but watching it this is all takes place in a snow snowbound setting it's set 10 years later he has reinvented he has a different name different personality and it's fun because in the first episode you don't hear his inner voice anymore and it's because he doesn't kill anymore and he's like gone away from all that stuff but then something happens to start triggering him again and all, all his wounds i've just been it's just been kind of like putting on an old blanket and returning to a character you haven't seen for a few years um so i've been enjoying uh watching that every sunday night so it's been kind of cool wow
1: And I will give a quick plug because I really enjoyed this episode um, to Tales of Tales from the Dead of Night, um, Mm -hmm. part two, which is from Earbud Theater. Earbud Theater, if you Uh guys aren't listening to it, it's made by a couple of our friends and it's just an amazing horror radio drama podcast. Um, So it's just horror stories. They're all really well done. Um, A lot of of. People that you'll know from kind of the horror world, from horror movies, do voices for these episodes. Um, And they just tell really tight stories. This one, Tales from the Dead of Night 2, it's an anthology. So you get like five different or three, three different stories in there. Um, and it's just really fun, um, really tight little stories. So yeah, you can listen to um Earbud Theater on Apple Podcasts. You can also go to earbudtheater.com. But if you're into horror drama uh podcasts, this is definitely a really good one with really good stories.
0: Cool. Yeah, no, I know Tales from Beyond the Pale did that back. Tales in the from day Beyond too, the Pale. And, yep. Yeah, that yeah, was another one. There.
1: That was Larry fessenden yeah. And uh, that's how, yeah, hey, then, that's where
0: War of the world started, right?
1: Oh my gosh. So,
0: yeah. Orson Welles doing it. Yep.
1: Yeah. Okay. So for tonight's discussion segment, we have something that I'm really excited about.
0: Yeah, so uh, at the end of every year, and we're close to the end of the year, I liked on whatever shows I do, I just finished my pure cinema ones. I love doing, uh, recounting the films, our favorite film discoveries of the year. And so, For horror, me and you have been doing so many of our kind of deep cut type titles Mm -hmm. on our Patreon deep cuts, So people there might be familiar with some, but we've talked literally probably about a 100 and something movies probably at this point. Um, And so we are going to each pick five favorites or five that we find interesting uh, discoveries that we made this year. And then up top, we're going to talk about a couple that we mutually both think are just bonkers great that we think everyone needs to hear about or put out on Blu-ray. Would be nice.
1: So These films, these are not ones that came out this year, nor are these like our top 10 of the year that will be coming our top 10 lists of 2021 will be coming in December. But the kind of parameters for these were that they had to be older films that we literally knew nothing about and had not seen before this year. Um, Yeah, first time watch. Yeah. First time watch. So in many cases, these are like super deep cutty titles, um, stuff that we would usually kind of relegate to our Patreon. But we wanted to collect um, our top five and bring them over to the show. So these are going to be weird ones. A lot of these I cannot guarantee that you're going to be able to like find on something like Netflix or Amazon. Some of these I'll definitely be like happy hunting um but these are all amazing titles that we just want to bring attention to yeah in in attempts that hopefully they can get some more attention and get a decent release um let's start with child's play (laughs) Two. well played super
0: deep cut no one's ever seen the second
1: one most people Um... skip
0: to three uh, the army so one.
1: <laughs> we're going to kick off with a wild and crazy Italian film that we actually watched in December and talked about on our Patreon show last December. So it's kind of a cheat, but it is a good example of this. Um, and, that's and it Spider- would be
0: my number one. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say it, otherwise it would have been my number one. I love this one so much. So
1: This was Spider Labyrinth, which I admittedly had seen before last December. I'd had a bootleg of this one for a while. Um, this one is super hard to find. I don't know why.
0: Yeah no I don't I don't know much about it. I again it's one of those gems that w- when somebody does like if a I'm I'm thinking yeah probably a Severin or or somebody k- goes into the elements and brings out the beauty of this film. Uh it's it's my favorite kind of uh, giallos are the ones that are not quite giallos. This is like a few things. It kind of starts off in that world and it they they end up going to Hungary and then it becomes a surreal like a dark lovecraftian story and On that level, it's super fun. So it's like an American researcher. He is called from this professor that he's been uh, collaborating with to go to Budapest. Uh, He gets out there. And when he does, he's acting for the professors acting really strange and slipping him like secret information. And it's like that classic, like the Ninth Gate and movies like that, where you get a little piece and you dig deeper into the mystery uh, and you start realizing. realizing academic realizing he's seeing
1: dark lore.
0: Yeah. And there's this crazy, ambit, but where it really feels like um, it feels in the Argento world, I guess, in the Inferno kind of style is like there's this woman with red hair, uh, you know, stalking and slashing people, but in really like surreal kind of fantasy type, yep. you know, uh, style. And he's slowly realizing everyone's in on it. You know, he's starting to get paranoid about uh, what, why he's there. And then towards kind of the last act when it goes really Lovecraftian. Uh, it, you start getting the Sergio, uh, you know, did demons, like practical effects that are just wild and really cool. Uh, and it just take comes, becomes a whole nother kind of movie. And so it's just, yeah. it really had layers, which I wasn't expecting when I first watched it.
1: I definitely equate this very much into an Argento realm. Well, I'll call it Giallo-ish, but I put it more in like Argento witch vibe. Yeah, it's total like Argento witch vibes, or even I'll say like the sect, which is another Italian one, um, that it it definitely has kind of those same, you know, secret cult of supernatural, Satanist, demonic things going on.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, So yeah. But but with bonkers
0: moments, which is cool, makes it, it elevates it a little.
1: This is one that I had found on a bootleg DVD at a convention like eons mm. ago, like one of those ones where you're like buying DVDs out of cardboard boxes and, you know, everything looks like it's Xerox. Um, I had found it at one of those and it probably sat on my shelf for, you know, four years before I finally watched it and was just so shocked by it. It's gorgeous. Like it's a really yeah. well-made film. Um, so this one, it's, it's a hard one to find. So happy hunting for Spider yeah, Labyrinth. Fun.
0: 88 so you know 88. closer to demons than some of the other so that kind of makes mm-hmm. sense um yeah really good and i again i just really hope somebody puts out a great looking version because you know it's one thing that it's under the radar but it it, it deserves to look g- gorgeous i think so
1: yeah completely
0: and the um, other one was more recent that we've both been on thinking about this one
1: yeah i just this was my first time watch today um so this one had been first recommended to us back on shockwaves when we had Issa lopez on yeah um, as a major influence
0: for her film yeah
1: and then i had another student um in one of my classes over the summer who had also talked about how influential this was to her growing up in mexico and so then i was like well damn now i have to get it and this is the film even the wind is afraid from 1968 And this one is much easier to find. I ended up, I bought um, a DVD copy of it, but even today while I was watching it, I was researching it and it's streaming right now on Tubi um, for free. Um, So, and I mean, you're going to watch ads in it, like car commercial every 15 minutes, but it's seriously fucking worth it. This movie was great.
0: Yeah, it's like I've been watching a lot of black and white, like, you know, 50s, 60s Mexican horror, but I hadn't been seeing much in color. And this is a really b- kind of beautifully shot, simple. I love how simple the movie is, the simple setting. It's a bunch of girls uh, in a uh, girl boarding school in Mexico that uh, is about to go. It kind of reminded me of the setup of uh, Black Coat's Daughter, actually, because it- of uh, yeah, because the holiday's coming up, and she, the girls get in trouble, so they are uh, grounded essentially, and not gonna, and not allowed to go on their spring break or whatever with their families, much of their chagrin. They call their headmistress, uh, the witch, you know, and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. this one girl, uh, Claudia she's having these visions really just the open, even the opening second for first couple of seconds grab you of this. She's having a vision yeah, cold of this woman hanging. Nice. Yeah. Like a, a, a girl hanging above her and the feet hanging. And it's just like, and she's hearing her name being called by some sort of spirit. And so it's definitely kind of like a siren ghost movie where there, there's uh, we don't know who the person is initially, but it's this the spirit is calling her name. She's sleepwalking and she's walking towards this tower that's been off limits to the girls uh, on the property all this time. No one knows what's no know, knows why. And you slowly start to unfold that there was a girl previously uh, a, a couple years prior who was who also was retained uh, over a break and ended up dying. And we don't know exactly what happened, but it seems like that spirit's now calling to this girl. And I, I probably wouldn't say too much more about the twist because it's yeah. really fun. Um, but man, the way it looks and the way it plays out is very creepy.
1: It's amazing. And it's an all female cast. Like I, yeah. it was rarely a guy in there and the girls. Yeah, janitor is so, it. Yeah. yeah the girls are so fantastic together. It's a grouping of probably eight girls that are stuck there. Um, and they're all just fantastic. The way that their personalities function, like it's just really cleverly woven. And as Elric mentioned, beautifully shot like the way that it uses the color of their uniforms and the wallpaper like it's just very aesthetical
0: yeah and and knowing that like because i think the house that screamed is a spanish yeah. horror set in a you know girls boarding school that's great and then suspiria it's so it's cool that there's this like you know there's this number of films now obviously the woods by lucky McKee, like, alucarda it's, yeah it's fun to yeah it's fun to alucarda have this, gets gets put
1: more into like uh-huh it, alucarda gets put more into like the um the nun category, but it's very much like girls'
0: boarding yeah. school. No, totally. And I, I, what I liked about this movie is also how normal their world is. It feels like a very mm-hmm. relatable because it's like 68 in Mexico. I didn't know how relatable that would be, but it felt very, you know, not that dissimilar to what it would probably feel like now if you're at a at a Catholic boarding school with yeah, a uniform. Yeah,
1: it felt very yeah. much like, a, like a, I'll say a pretentious boarding school. It yeah. almost felt like, like, a, like a junior college, like a fancy college.
0: But um, yeah, if I was screening this, I would double it with Black Coat's Daughter for sure. I think that would make for a really fun girl stuck on vacation <laughs> at their school yep. and bad, bad shit happens. But yeah, highly, highly recommend If we uh, th- That's why we wanted to highlight these two. We don't know what the other films on each other's lists are, but those two, we yep. both want people to take note because again, there isn't like a Blu-ray of that in America, as far as I know. So uh, and there No, well and be, even so. the
1: DVD that I ordered of Even the Wind is Afraid, I'm fairly sure it's an import. Um, but again, it's streaming on Tubi right now. So definitely check it out while it's there. Um, but man, yeah, I'd love to see a Restoration Blue of that.
0: Yeah, no, great film and really good pick. And it makes a lot of sense when you see Issa Lopez's film because it has this kind of quiet, creeping uh, mm-hmm. dread and, you know, very relatable young characters. So very cool. Um, So yeah, take us, let's start, let's kick off our five picks. uh, Okay, I'm going to do
1: mine in order of kind of like my excitement about it, Um, like how much I loved it. So I'm working up to my number one. So I'm going to start with one that was a recent watch um, that I'd never even heard of before. Arrow did uh, a beautiful Blu-ray release of it. And so this is from our Patreon show only a couple of weeks ago that I talked about the Brotherhood of Satan. From 1971. Oh my God. I'd never even heard of this. And it is now like, if I'm thinking like really cool 1970s films, this is going to move to the top of the list for me. Um, It is about a family who rolls into town. They're having some car trouble um, and they roll into this weird town while they're on a road trip. And everybody in the town is strange. The adults are acting strange. You get the idea that some of them have recently disappeared. The kids are acting strange. The elderly people are definitely acting strange. So strange that the family is like, let's get the fuck out of here. And they can't get very far. And they end up having to go back to the town like the town has trapped them in. And I don't want to say anymore because this had some crazy fucking twists I was not expecting. Um, Just really good horror moments in this. And even the, the death scenes, the way that people kind of die in this movie, it's Great. Like there was just a lot of really tense moments in this.
0: Yeah, definitely a Twilight Zone vibe. This is one I I was aware of the cover for years. I just the cover was so generic that I just never wanted to watch it. And so when the New Beverly paired it with uh, Race with the Devil, it definitely got my notice. And uh, yeah, I, I was equally blown away with this one. And I think people, it's a great discovery. I feel like if people, you know, elements of Get Out and things like that, they might dig uh, this movie um, mm-hmm. because there's just some fun surprising stuff like that but it's good to leave a little bit of that twist on the table I think uh, yeah. and the kids are good in this movie too which is always hard to pull off yeah. uh, okay, Brotherhood so of
1: Satan yeah. 1971 there's a beautiful uh, disc that was just restored and released by Arrow
0: so, I was going to play by the rules here, but then at the last second, I had to cheat with my number five, and I'm doing a double feature on my number five. But you'll see they're, they're very That's connected.
1: Cheating.
0: I know. This is you, Brian on my other oh. show always cheats. I never cheat. But here we go. You'll see why in one second. Um, because both of them I love, but for very different reasons. So, one, uh, I'm calling this my Bigfoot Discovery double feature. Uh, one of these was a film that I, uh, Shane Bitterling, friend of ours, uh, pointed out to me and i feel like no one on earth has seen and it's more recent from 2018 uh that's why i'm doubling it here called primal rage the legend of conga uh this movie <laughs> is the kind of movie in a million years i probably never would have pushed play on without somebody directly telling me to that's why i'm telling all of you to this Did i would say call
1: primal rage the legend of conga
0: I said Primal Rage, The Legend of Konga. Um,
1: okay, making sure I wrote this down correctly. Because there is a different Primal on.
0: Rage. There's a different Primal that's Rage. That's why
1: I uh, was asking.
0: Uh, this, If you want to sell the movie, sorry, I could do it much clearer with this title. <laughs> How about Bigfoot Home Alone? Because it's basically okay, Home Alone but in the woods with a Bigfoot uh, who has all the same tricks that Kevin does. Uh, it is really interesting. Movie. I mean, look, there's a lot about the human drama of this that I would just say is a B. But the creature stuff is A-plus and wild, and I've never seen anything quite like it in recent years. Uh, It is in the Pacific Northwest. A a girl goes to pick up her boyfriend from prison. He's been in there for like a year for some kind of you know whatever charge. They're just trying to sleep together, uh, so they pull over the car. Uh, Something is watching them and steals their clothes, so suddenly they don't really have – they're not fully clothed, but they're in the middle of the – uh, jungle they come across a bunch of hicks who are menacing them there early and that's the stuff that doesn't age as well it feels like that if this was 80s it would suit an 80s movie more um kind of unpleasant characters but it's all in service that the fact that they're being stalked by this um this character that has is an, in in the world of this film is a native american myth that they call the omaz and um they're the main sheriff is this native american sheriff who doesn't He's a little strained from his community and Mm -hmm. because he doesn't believe in this stuff and his community rejects it. So he's kind of the side storyline and this thing, it's basically a Sasquatch who wears like a skull mask and uses things like bow and arrows and it's, that sounds really uh, lame when you watch it it, it is completely badass like like they shoot it in a way that the character the creature is really resourceful and like and, and ends up killing a lot of people and being a menacing thing but is also like King Kong kind of growing an attraction to the girl so there's this int- anyway for a modern movie uh, I just was like okay no this really is a lot of fun I, I I've been trying to recommend it to anyone I can thanks to Uh, shane's initial viewing of this one um because the creature is i I love bigfoot movies but this creature is really something special um the director is a first-time director who is actually a a practical effects person who is probably why he made you know such a great creature so i want to recommend that one but i didn't want to do it alone because my other favorite that could be even higher in this list and I i thought it sounded a little ass kissy to put it on this right now because today if you go on twitter it's all over twitter that severance putting this out but i watched a shitty version and that is night of the demon and night of the demon mm-hmm. is the movie that everyone goes oh the video nasty where a biker gets his dick ripped off by a bigfoot and that is everything you need to know about that movie it's but i really like the movie it's it's kind of a it's like a you can already see the movie they shot they shot a really boring movie about a professor who wanted to take his students up to go look for bigfoot and then it's so clear where the reshoot comes in which is oh Let's just make, let's just pause at every moment, you know, that they're going through the wilderness and tell a story. And then let's cut to the story. And the story is where the good shit happens because each story along the way, uh, which I did read was a lot of that's reshoots, uh, are these wild slasher scenes with a Bigfoot fucking being a slasher. And, and it like, it's a video nasty for obvious reasons. And it gets really, it basically gets crazy towards the end where they discover a, it's also kind of would play well as like one of those kind of redneck. Uh, movies that Bill Joe Bob always talks about because it's this girl called Crazy Wanda and she's mm-hmm. she's in a house and you find out that the locals uh use her to try to mate with said Bigfoot when she was younger <laughs> and it's bonkers. And there there's like a home invasion sequence with the Bigfoot. I mean it's one of those movies that is truly to me this is my what I would call my uh, uh night beast pick of the year. Uh <laughs> if you lo- if you love Night Beast when you bought it on disc, you should be buying Night of the Demon Sight Unseen and thanking us later but as a double feature this would be so much fun because you got a brand new version of a Bigfoot and this uh, old dick ripping version um, so this to me <laughs> I had to put them both on somehow but I don't think I could justify two spots on my top five <laughs> so, <laughs> so, to yeah, so I had to Is make your, a little man. yes I had to make a little cheap so Primal Rage and Nye the Demon please for the love of God somebody do this double feature uh, <laughs> New Beverly whoever I, I need to see them together so there you go
1: Wow. Okay. Well, my number four is one that I know you saw as well. So feel free to say it's higher on your list. And that is Mermaid Legend from 1984.
0: I didn't put it on this one because I knew you would, but I did it on, a, on a different podcast because of that. So knowing <laughs> you would bring it up here.
1: Yeah, no, Mermaid Legend was definitely Incredible. one of my favorite discoveries of this yeah. year. This was sent to me by Elric. He literally sent me a file. Because
0: um, I thought it was a aquatic yeah. car,
1: Yeah, and he was like, this sounds like you. And it was just like, you know, girl goes on killing spree by the light of the moon or whatnot. Like it totally did sound like it was like a siren movie. Um, This is a Japanese film from nineteen eighty four um directed by the director um akita i know because he had done a ton of pinky films specifically i went through like a binge in the late 2000s where i watched as many pinky films as i could find um and i know him from the uh angel guts series um specifically angel guts red porno was like one of his really well-known mm, ones I don't know. this touches on pinky films like it feels like it kind of gets there a little bit in just some of kind of the sexual violence. But that said, this is such a good movie, um, like shockingly good um, with an absolutely amazing ending. The story is that this this woman and her husband are um, what do they dive for? Abalone?
0: Per, no, it's per, well, yeah, I don't know what they say in it, but I guess it's a pearl diving thing. It's
1: like, like a, a, pearl it's a pearl diving thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're they're shellfish divers. We'll just say that. And and they do that for a living. And one night um, he her husband accidentally sees something go down. And um, while she is underwater and uh, something happened or sorry, switch that he sees something. Um, And so therefore, some hitmen kill him and she realizes what's happening and what he knew and who was responsible for it. And then it turns into a total revenge film. And man, this goes there like she is in this for the long game. Um, It isn't just like, you know, she doesn't just go crazy and break in and like start taking people down. It is like long haul revenge film, um, how she goes about this. And the final 20 minutes of this movie are some of the best cinema that I have seen in the last five years, let alone this year.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, that's that's where I land on too, where it's like, it, it, once you get to the ending, you're like, I haven't quite seen this before. And I've seen the Kill Bills and the films that influence Kill Bill. It, it's It's got elements of that, but it pushes it even further. Yeah, this- The long takes really push. Uh, oh my God,
1: there's so much in this that left me so impressed with the actress who is the lead
0: yeah um, she's great.
1: yeah it, it does it has fuck all to do with mermaids aside from the fact that it takes place by the sea and she's a diver um but there is just so much to love about this movie and it is just one that i can't believe that more people have not discovered and that it is not one that is referenced more that is not a big uf yeah, it doesn't have a disc like this one is super hard to find. And this is one that I feel like if people would, were watching it, it would be so influential on stuff to come. It really does feel like, you know, it was Kill Bill and, it, you know, it inspired that. that kind of and stuff, so, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a beautiful film. So that is Mermaid Legend from 1984. Happy hunting for this one.
0: Yeah, and so it's and, there, and my hope is because this year somebody put out Evil Dead Trap, which is my my favorite mm-hmm. rewatch horror of the entire year. Like that movie totally floored. I just loved rewatching it. Um, and to find out it was the same director, that's actually how I found oh, that. That it. It is like, this
1: director.
0: Yeah, so I looked him up after rewatching Evil Dead Trap to find anything else he might have done, and that's what led me to that title. So, um, but yeah, that so my hope is because somebody just put out a beautiful version of that, maybe they'll put out more of his movies because clearly yeah. there's some incredible stuff in there. Um, yeah, I'm glad it, I'm glad it's getting highlighted. So my next one is one I just saw recently too um, and that is a recommendation from Patrick Bromley, what called Nightlife. Um, mm-hmm. Directed by David Comba. This was just like you know, this is the American gem I saw this year like uh, most of mine seem to be foreign on this, on this list, but this film feels like a movie that should be talked about like night of the creeps and other little mini classics from that era. Uh, It's from 89. So it's right up the tail. It's this kid called Archie who has red hair. Uh, He's, he's a, you know, smart kid, uh, but he's, you know, picked on a little bit. He's not like a geek or anything, but he's, you know, in a small town, high school, um, all the jocks mess with him. He's friends with the local mechanic and he works at his, uncle uh played by uh gomez adams uh <laughs> john Aston. um he, he basically works part-time at this morgue and uh or mortuary and he you know so he does all the work and it's all just a to b to him he's he's fine doing it uh he's kind of on the outs with his uncle a little bit at the at the t- start of this movie and these bullies who kind of pick on him uh and play practical jokes on him and they and they're kind of hot girlfriends they end up getting killed in a car accident one night and brought back into the morgue he's left uh, to kind of show that he can be responsible to his uncle and lightning literally strikes the building and they all come back to life and they're actually not goofy and funny like it like you might think and they're actually rather scary uh and creepy and it's like him versus these uh, zombies for the rest of the movies and and it's one of those movies that i think if you just looked at the kind of marketing of it, you would guess that it's gonna be a comedy in the second half because mm-hmm. of how the first half plays out, but it really isn't. It's just a straight these zombie things are gonna come get you, you have to fight them off and then save your friend. And I found that to be what was so refreshing about it is it worked really well as a as an actual um, you know, horror film, not a horror comedy in the second half and uh archie's played by scott grimes just i I just thought this was a total blast again a terrible copy it's like a vhs rip or something and it's insane that this one this one particularly has just all the hallmarks of a movie that people would eat up right now as a lost 80s treasure so uh, i don't know what the story is i don't know if there's a good reason why it hasn't been picked up yet i know we did bring it up to vinegar syndrome Mm -hmm. in passing when they're here and Um, you know, don't think there was a hard reason, but this one's really fun and you can see it on YouTube and stuff. I'm sure in various degrees of, um, you know, degradation or whatever, but I, it's still worth it. Just fun, fun, fun movie.
1: So in my number three spot, I have um another one that Elric found and sent me and was like, This sounds like you. You totally know my taste, dude. Um,
0: Am I like your dealer? Like a, I'm like, a, you like are. I'm tapping your vein. I'm like, and Come this on is Becca. One
1: that literally when you sent this to me, like I, I think I audibly eye rolled. Like it was yeah. it was a hard eye roll. And then I was like folding laundry one day and was like, fine, I'll start watching. I bought a vampire motorcycle. And um, ended up kind of falling in love with the movie. This is a British film from 1990. I bought a vampire motorcycle. It is um, silly in the same sense of like a Tammy in the T-Rex movie where it is silly, but it is so over the top gory that you can't believe you are watching everything go down. Um, The setup is that this motorcycle gang um, kills an occultist. Right. As he is trying to do this sacrifice. And so one of the motorcycle gangs motorbikes gets full of blood from the occultist and then it gets inhabited with a demon and boom vampire motorcycle right there (laughs) that's inhabited by a demon. So the bike is hell bent on killing people and it also has a thirst for blood. Um, this kind of, uh, rough and tumble, gritty motorcycle guy who runs a, a shop, um, and his girlfriend buy the bike with intentions of, um, fixing it up and renovating it. And then from there, the bike has a mind of its own and starts killing people. The, um, there is an amazing scene of this movie where they bring in a priest to try to do an exorcism on the motorcycle which is just amazing. Like this movie is, it's just as fucking wacky as you think it is, but it's 1990s. So it does have these crazy dead alive quality to it, where it is this really over the top, like blood spurting face crunching gore. Um, mixed with this absolutely silly humor. Um, like the movie does not take itself seriously in any capacity and the characters in it feel very evil dead where they're all kind of gross characters to begin with. And it does have that very kind of splat quality to it. Um, the director of this did not spend much time in horror at all. He right after, I made, or I bought a vampire motorcycle. um, Transitioned into children's television, where he still is today. Um, Mm -hmm. Made the worst witch reboot on TV, which was great. That was for Netflix a couple of years ago. Um, This is one where I say, don't think about it. Just go in. It is so fun in a Tammy and the T Rex scent. Don't don't try to analyze it. Just let it go. Um, And I'm so intrigued how this has not gotten more attention because this is like a perfect midnight movie much in the same vein of a tammy and the t-rex um this is one where it is just so silly and over the top and the gore is so crazy like i would watch this at midnight anytime and just guffaw at the motorcycle exorcisms
0: so i had to give this to you because of psych you shared psychomania with me so i was like all right i gotta return (laughs) some motorbike love to you
1: motorbike love so this is i bought a vampire motorcycle from 1990
0: which i still have not seen i just share without seeing uh and this
1: one i do not even know if there's a dvd copy of this i i feel it might be a uk
0: but not in america
1: okay there needs to be um i'm googling it right now but there there this is one that i swear i don't know how somebody has not picked this up because it would be such a great midnight screening
0: um my number three is one i really really dig and um it's called eyes of crystal but you have to be careful because there's also a brand new movie that came mm-hmm. out this year called crystal eyes which i've which heard is also, also great yallow-y. yeah which and they're both look jollo which is funny and, and uh, like malignant or saying but eyes of crystal uh this is eros Puglielli from 2004 it's a spanish italian thriller so it's kind of both co-production but really to sell you on it it's it's as close as i've seen the vibe to say seven um in terms of cinematography and the feeling of the world and the kind of uh hopelessness and you know dark cinematography um so this is a a young couple are uh you know brutally killed on this beach and there's like some body parts taken from the girl and this you know obviously this kind of beat down cop has to start investigating it kind of reminds me of also argento's later period where he did things like sleepless and things like Mm -hmm. that but i think in a way it's almost more stylish um than his, his film um it's definitely set in that world but it's got this really good score really creepy kind of uh you know, plot device with flashback structures that are actually really interesting in terms of what's happening. And I, th- I don't think this is too spoilery, but it helps sell it clearly. And we've seen this trope before, but this is the best I've seen where the killer is taking different pieces of people to create some sort of life-size doll made of body parts and has a taxidermist kind of mindset and skill set. And it's really like kind of grotesque and disturbing all the way through, but it's always an interesting kind of sexy thriller like it it also reminds me a little bit of like those kind of Christopher Lambert Thrillers like Night Moves and Resurrected. Like, mm-hmm. the, there's just this little period where probably post, you know, uh, seven, where this was the thing. But it, I like this as much as, or if not more than all of those. Uh, and this was a really fun uh, surprise. The actor from Arabato, which also got a re release this year, and you ever, we know we, I love it, he plays a doctor in it too. So I was very excited to see him pop up in a movie. I was like, ooh, it's that doctor from Think. But yeah, I highlight this is like, so it's somewhere between a, a, an actual slasher and a Jalo. And one of those kind of crime mystery films from the you know you know late late 90s to early 2000s, uh, really worth seeking out. Hopefully, somebody again will put put a good disc of this one out called Eyes of Crystal.
1: Well, I have an update. Um, so Vampire or I Bought a Vampire Motorcycle does have a nice Blu-ray release from Kino Lorber. Um, oh, so I didn't yeah, even know that. and it's not it's not pricey. It's like twenty bucks. So I definitely recommend. And it. it's also got like six stars on Amazon. So apparently. I'm not the only one who thinks it's like some complete hidden gem. So oh, um, yeah. yeah, I bought a vampire motorcycle and what was the one that you had just eyes, oh, eyes of crystal?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Nice. My one and two are super fucking weird. Um, Good, but mine too. I, I loved these so much because they were super fucking weird. So for my number two, I am going to, I I don't know if this is horror. I don't know if it's sci-fi. I barely know if it's a movie, but I'm going to The Drifting School from mm. 1995. So this is one um, that I don't even know how I found. I'd heard about this because I'd read The Manga Drifting Classroom a long time ago. Um, and then somebody sent me a YouTube link, I believe. It was YouTube. <laughs> oh, I, 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 I did find it Okay
0: well, I think I, I think you maybe had mentioned it no, maybe I'd seen it on I your t- watch list or something, I but think it, it was
1: on my watch list and then you were like, hey, you know it's on YouTube because I wait, is it the had-
0: Hasu director?
1: Yeah, it's the director. I think that's director. how I found
0: yeah, that's how yep. I thought about that one yeah
1: um, I definitely had had this on my watch list for a long time because I'd read the manga, but I'd always thought that they did this made for TV movie of it um, of the drifting classroom manga in 1995 and I'd always wanted to see it, but I'd always heard it was like really hard to hunt down. Well, Elric found it on YouTube. Um, so 1995, this is the guy who made the absolute batshit bonkers Japanese house house movie. And I'd never seen anything else by him, and I'd always wanted to. Um, and the, the actual manga, is it's bizarre, but not nearly as bizarre as this movie goes. The manga itself is just about a group of kids who are stuck in a classroom and the classroom time travels um, 200 years in the future to a point where the world is kind of barren and full of sand. And it's all about them being stuck there and trying to find their way back. The setup of the made-for-TV movie from 1995 is the same, um, except it brings in a lot more. There is a a satellite is malfunctioning. It's a U.S. satellite. So the U.S. decides to shoot the satellite with a laser. It's a spy satellite because evil U.S. Um, So the U.S. decides to to do something with this power laser. And when the power laser hits the satellite, it causes a rip in space time, and it sends this entire high school back or 200 years into the future. Teachers, students, and an escaped criminal. (laughs) Um, And so now they're all stuck 200 years in the future where the world is nothing but sand and all of these monsters exist. But it's literally like they're inside the school, like the whole school moves. So they're in the building, but just in this absolutely barren sand world. Um, And man, it gets weird. One of the students is telepathic and can still communicate with his mother 200 years in the past they're trying to send stuff to the students through the time rift. Like they're trying to send them medicine and food through the time rift. And so he's psychically talking with his mom 200 years ago about how they receive this stuff. Um, it turns into Lord of the flies at points where the school divides into different factions and they're trying to kill each other and take each other down. Um, Some students become very good at certain things. There's language barriers with the students as well, where they don't all speak the same languages. So them trying to communicate becomes a thing as well. There is so much sand, like the school literally starts getting flooded with sand and the kids are sandy. It's just everywhere. And then there's these monsters, Because the world 200 years in the future has these absolute fucking batshit monsters. Um, The monsters are, some of them are trying to kill them. Some of them only attack at certain times of day. And then there are these adorable, cute little monsters that pee water. I kid <laughs> you not. They end up finding water because there's this one creature that is constantly peeing. And they're like, stop peeing on me. And then eventually it pees in some kid's mouth. And he goes, it's water. It is the weirdest fucking thing ever. Um, and so this want You won't movie- see that in
0: a Marvel movie. <laughs> no. Right there. No this- peeing in mouths.
1: This movie was just absolutely bonkers and weird, and it, it was like Goonies, and I don't even know. It was just like a pack of kids trying to survive and get out of this scenario. Um, so Lord of the Fliesy, but just made by the House Sioux director, so you can tell how yeah, weird yeah. it's going to get. Um, this, I, I watched this with, um, it was one of those, I started like a Sunday afternoon and was like, Oh, watch it while I'm doing dishes or making lasagna or whatnot. And then 10 minutes later, whatever I was doing, I'm just done with, and I'm just sitting at the table watching this.
0: Dinner's on fire. Yeah. Doesn't
1: matter. I'm watching the drifting school from 1995. Um, this it's, it's a tough one to find. You can definitely find it streaming online.
0: Um, nice. Well, I'm going to match your Japanese film with my number two which is also a Japanese film. So look at us. Uh, my one. Uh, oh, man, this is an absolute, uh, banger. Uh, this is from our, a good friend, even though we've never met, but he will always know we love him, uh, Shinya Sukamoto, uh, yes. who gave us Tetsuo out of the gates. Uh, his, his movie that couldn't be more different than Tetsuo is Hiroko the Goblin from 91. So this is his direct <laughs> follow-up. It's fascinating. No, because this movie is much more like a Sam Raimi Carpenter movie than a Shinyasuko. It's nothing like the rest of his filmography. And yeah. it, but that said, had he gone in just this direction, I would also have been okay because this is one of the most fun movies I've seen this year. Uh this is him getting a big studio kind of budget suddenly to make this adaptation, I guess, of of a you know story. I'm not sure what it's based on. And it's uh this is what happens when you build a high school in the gates of hell. As we know, this never goes well. Um, it just starts with these young boys. It's their summer holidays, and they kind of are just bumming around. They end up going back to their uh, their school, and they see their kind of crabby, um, the guy who, uh, you know, their caretaker, and he tries to r- chase them off. But then they see one of their uh, friends who's this young girl in a room alone with one of the teachers, and they're like, oh, what's going on here? And try and investigate. And before you know it, that teacher no longer has a head. And they're like, what the hell's going on? And suddenly person by person is uh, getting decapitated or brutalized in crazy death scenes by an unseen thing, and something has been unearthed below the school uh, that is the uh, goblin, uh, said goblin, and what you get, what this really culminates with is just some amazing practicals that almost like look a lot like Botines effect in the thing, where there'll be these uh, heads of these dead children and dead things on spider legs, and they are perfect looking, like, does not, no CGI as far as I can tell, they look like all practical wild effects while these kind of ramey ish camera will like charge at the charge at the person and, and then, you know, knock them over and stuff. And they kind of, uh, it ends up being the caretaker, uh, and one of these kids having to try to save the universe in quote marks, because at a certain point they look into the abyss under the school and realize there are thousands of these heads oh. on spider legs. And it's just, it was such a surprise because I've seen a lot of his movies and there's nothing like this. This is kind of goofy. It's fun. It's got some scary parts. It's just like kind of ticks. It just shows that a talented director kind of, I think, similar to like Peter Jackson could go in many directions and mm-hmm. where where a director goes or Aronofsky is probably a better example where if Aronofsky had just wanted to be a, a mainstream filmmaker, he could have spent his whole, instead he doesn't. He wants to make a record room for a dream and, and things like Mother. And that's just these guys have the talent to do whatever they want. But end up choosing to make these more artistic, weird movies, which I dig too. So, uh, but man, this is just a great movie. I'm not sure if this, I don't think it's part of the Tsukamoto box set that was put out recently. So, I'm not sure. I assume there is a pretty good version out there. So, um, but I can't recommend it enough. It's just, I think you'll love it. You'll have an absolute blast watching this one. It's and it really is fun.
1: not part of the Tsukamoto box set. Okay. I that makes think... sense because it is outside it, of that
0: universe. Yeah.
1: I didn't see this on there. <laughs>
0: Yeah, which is a shame because I, this is one that I think as people catch up to, if you like wild, you know, movies and the effects are just super cool. So yeah, I'm not even t- telling you everything. There's some really cool stuff in there. So, uh, and also Shinya has a, he often plays characters like, you know, small roles and he pops up in there. So, um, but yeah, highly, highly recommend this one. Uh, which is called, one more time, Heroku the Goblin. And I, while I'm here, I'm going to give my shout out to my, it definitely is, couldn't make this list, but it was the 40-minute Guzu, the thing forsaken by God movie, which almost feels like it's in the same universe as Heroku. Yeah. It's utterly insane. And it's 40 I'm- minutes of Blob Monster.
1: I will give my shout out to, um, and I'm wondering if this is like a grouping of films, Gakadama, The Demon Within, which was my weird Japanese monster film from 1985 um, yeah, about now. the people who have to keep eating the demon or else the demon becomes the, it's it's. Yeah, I want to see that one. You mentioned super that. Gory. Yeah. super gory.
0: But um, now, yeah, Gazoo also is like set in a boarding school, kind of kids and stuff. So it's it's just there's some crazy movie. That one's only 40 minutes, and God knows I don't even know where that exists. But I was. think
1: Yakudama is only like 50, and it's on YouTube.
0: Yeah, so I mean these things are out there if you're if you're willing to dig, like we are. Uh, very fun,
1: amazing. Um, so drum roll, my number yeah. one. Um, my number one is also a Japanese movie. Um, This is another one where I'm like, I don't know whether to call it an art film or a horror. It's definitely got horror components to it. It's just amazing. And this film um, ended up becoming a huge influence of kind of some of the stuff that I did later in the year, including the film I just directed that I'm not Mm. allowed to talk about yet. I can say that this was an influence just because I watched this um, in February and then I was pitching this film around. And so elements of this ended up getting woven in. So. Really influential on me. Um, and this is Survive Style 5 hmm, Plus. This is, um, I do not even know what genre to put this in. Just weird and fucked up. Uh-huh. Um, 2014 Japanese film um, directed by a, a guy who, um, Jen Sakaguchi, I'm probably saying that incorrectly, but um, this is kind of like his only feature. It looks like he mostly does commercials and music videos. And that is what shows the most in this film. This film is so fucking stylized. It's basically pulp fiction, a really weird goddamn pulp fiction, Um, a really artistic one too, where it is five stories. They are five separate stories, but they are all connected together. So the first story is about a guy who is killing his girlfriend, but she won't stay dead. Like it opens with Mm -hmm. him burying her and then she comes back and she kicks his ass Um, Mm -hmm. and she's trying to kill him. And so it keeps going back to him trying to kill her and she keeps coming back and then trying to kill him hmm, cool and then from there there's a story of a hitman that's played by vinnie jones there's a story hmm. of a kind of family man who goes to see a hypnotist at a show and becomes convinced he's a duck there's the story of the hypnotist and then there's a story of an ad executive who is dating the hypnotist and they all get interwoven and murder because there's a hitman um it all becomes part of it there's actually a sixth story now that I'm remembering so there there's a couple you know all of these different storylines but they're all woven back to the guy whose girlfriend will not stay dead and the hitman um and they are so hyper stylized just the production design on this movie is just breathtaking the filmmaking They are just fucking bonkers. It is like literally, I mean, the movie I'm sure is like 90 minutes long, but it flies. It is just like there is so much to look at and see and it just flies. Um, Mm. So this is one I I highly recommend checking this out. Um, It was released to DVD back in 2004. It has not had any stateside releases since then. So that DVD now goes for anywhere from 50 to, I've seen it bump up to 80 at times. I keep watching it, waiting to buy it, um, and haven't been able to yet. But it is streaming if you look hard enough, which is how right. I ended up watching it. Okay. Um, crazy soundtrack as well.
0: So it's called Survive Style 5?
1: Survive Style 5 Plus. Oh. Yeah.
0: Okay. All this right. Is, I. Track it
1: out. I l- just this movie, it was just style alone was kind of it was captivating for me. Um, the horror elements were so clever and, and even just the way that it was conveyed. It was just um, so aesthetically just wonderful, fast moving. It literally felt like a 90 minute music video It was one. OK,
0: cool. Um, my number one is I, I start pretty early in the year, but it's just completely stuck with me because it's not like any other movie from this subgenre. Uh, This is uh, from Italy, um, again. uh, The Perfume of the Lady in Black by Francesco Barrelli from 1974. He's did one other film that I've had on my watch list recently called Hotel Fear, which I haven't watched yet. Um, This is stars this person who's become kind of my actress of the last couple of years, of the pandemic, basically. I'd seen her in things before, but had never really noticed her. Her name's Mimsy Farmer. She was in Autopsy, which I watched this year. Road to Selena, which was a great film I saw last year. And Four Flies on Grey Velvet, she's the lead in that by Argento. And she's just utterly hypnotic there's just something about her presence in this movie she's the you know bleach blonde hair and um just you know very kind of cool features this this has most in common with it's somewhere between rosemary's baby and repulsion the both Mm -hmm. like polanski apartment type movies and this is very much an apartment paranoia um it definitely, it's being made in, what, 74, so it's in the shadow of Rosemary's Baby, where ultimately the story becomes about, uh, you know, dark black magic, everyone is out to get you storyline, um, and they're all in on it kind of thing, which is what adds to the paranoia. But she, she's basically, she, it says she's an industrial scientist. Uh She's having these hallucinations post her mother's suicide, and she's having these very... You know very vivid dreams uh it's not like a normal jallo at all. it's much more like a psychodrama in the repulsion mode and uh she is even starting to see her younger self dictate what she should be doing in her life now and dressing herself up as her own mother, dead mother, and stuff and It's just super weird and gets under your skin amazing score. And she goes to this dinner party where these guys have come back from Africa and they're talking about some of the you know, kind of black magic type practices there. And it starts making her dreams and fantasies worse. And then she starts having paranoia that every person in her apartment building is out to get her in some way and even goes towards kind of a cannibalistic subplot uh, that kind of really Mm -hmm. comes to fruition in the end. But all the while, this is beautifully shot classy it's like that high classy cinematography sound and performance that feels like a different genre it's almost like this other I feel like I've seen a couple movies recently that feel like they're just they're, that Jala wouldn't be quite right but it's the closest thing label that exists for this, this type of movie that also existed where people were able to go off a little more In the art um art house mode but it's also really just it gets under your skin creepy and weird um so i really love this movie Uh, this one's a little easier to find you know you might be able to find it on amazon there was a good european you know blu-ray of it for sure the soundtrack's been out for uh, you know people always i think i knew about this film more from the soundtrack back in the day um then and it's a title i always knew existed i just had never watched it and fantastic movie really got to me this one um that is i always get the title wrong though so i'll remit. it's the perfume of the lady in black um wow
1: i've yeah, i've really seen cool. this i've seen this cover pop up on so many lists and cues and i've never watched it so it's no. it's
0: real it's definitely your bag like you would i think you'd be like ooh, that's that's a good one uh keeper so uh the only other thing i was going to mention just like you know that's our list but there i did see i know you've been watching a lot of the um you know we've both been talking a lot about british christmas horrors for a long time Mm -hmm. you've been watching some of them if you had one you wanted to highlight i I, just because i wanted to highlight um because it's out now there's this um collection from the bbc called the short sharp shocks and on that the reason i had to get it straight away is there was a short short film 38 minute film called the lake by Lindsay vickers it's the only other movie this director made they made the film i took my my favorite discovery of about a year or two ago called The Appointment from 1981. Um, That was their only feature. They were mostly a second unit director on a lot of Hammer films. And this is just about a couple who drive out to this house by the lake. And the house is where three years earlier, somebody had murdered their family and had gone missing. And they go out into this lake and they're just having a nice day. And just slowly, it's one of the creepiest things I've seen this year. Slowly, something is getting closer to them. And you just feel the darkness of this the force in this movie without it being some big movie. It's a 38 movie. It's very low key, most of the stuff, but there's a scene where his dog goes out into the lake Mm -hmm. and you hear the dog make a sound and he swims out to get his dog. And it's the scariest like sequence I've seen this year where it's just so tense because you know, there's something in that lake beyond the dog and it's really creepy. Um, So this one, you can only see it of it's only on that particular collection. That's why, because I know a lot of the movies you've been talking about have have been Mm -hmm. appearing in similar um you know the christmas stories of ghost uh, ghost stories of christmas uh boxes from bbc as well
1: so yeah i have three more of those bbc um ghost story box sets queued up um that i'm hoping to order i wanted to do like one um a week during december, december.
0: yeah let's both um, do that let's i've got some as well it. yeah i've got some Excellent. more but, but
1: yeah, my just favorite to put one... them on people's radar I can't even remember the name of the one that I love so much, but it was the one where the woman unearths the stone. It was the contemporary Stigma. one. Stigma. Stigma. Um, really stuck with me, partially because yeah. it's just this woman unearths um, a stone and you get the idea that it's this kind of like monolithic, uh, paganistic stone in her, or in her yard um, and slowly starts bleeding to death like yeah. through her skin So creepy. Um, yeah. and it is so slow. And so very much, she's just like, you know, at first she's like, what is that? And then after a while, she's like putting pads in her bra. Cause she's bleeding around her bra. Um, and it's graphic. And I wasn't expecting it to be quite as, um, cringy as it is, but that one definitely stuck with me. There's a lot of these that I've absolutely loved, but that yeah, was that my, I don't forget.
0: Yeah. I would say that's been my favorite discovery of the last like almost 10 years have been those films because mm-hmm. I didn't know about them until about three years ago. Uh, I'd you know, I'd maybe heard of a couple and I'd heard of things like uh, the stone tapes. That's different, right? Like I knew mm-hmm. of that kind of British horror, but I did not know of this tradition of it. And, and I really, they're just so fun and it's fun to keep having a few more still to get to. I love that yeah. feeling. Um, so if you have never taken that trip, um, and the last thing I'll say, you know, look, this is our our discoveries. We love doing this show. We love doing our uh Patreon Deep Cuts in between. If you don't understand, and trust me, I took me the first Patreon I joined was Brady Stinales' one because I was just curious because his podcast disappeared and went behind a paywall. I think a lot of people don't know what it is. I think some people think it's like charity to support shows or whatever. Uh really a lot of if you enjoyed this particular episode, this is would be a good sign that you might actually really enjoy that because we do about, you know, probably about four titles. Um per episode every second week of our show. And it's yeah. really this kind of stuff where we're searching for the craziest stuff we can find the or have The weirdest
1: seen. shit yeah. we can find um, yeah. goes to the Patreon show. So Still this in is the, the blanks. The, yeah. yeah. So you're missing, like usually we do at least 20 titles a year over on the Patreon. Um, that are well, just so I'd prepared. say we almost do
0: four. Yeah, we do four an episode. It's, four, over, so, it's yeah. usually
1: four, e- two four each, three to yeah. four. Yeah. Two yeah. to three each um, per show. On the Patreon, so yeah, but yeah, so
0: no, no, disparate. We totally understand when people can't, and that that is not why we're plugging it. But I do think there's some people who maybe don't know, know where we're talking about some of that stuff, and I, I, I love getting to. There's nothing. I the only reason I still do these shows, I think ultimately, besides getting to talk to you, uh, thank you. Yes, <laughs> but but it's true. It's I think the part is we still love searching for stuff.
1: It's totally true. And we haven't if, run out
0: of interesting stuff to find yet. So keep
1: no, going. I will talk about you know Nightmare on Elm Street until my lips. Living- fall off. Um, But at the end of the day, the stuff that makes me so excited is that somewhere out there, there is another drifting school or another um, mermaid revenge that I'm just like, you know, something I've never seen before that makes me say, "How the fuck is this not out there?" It is so good, or something that scares me in a way that I was not expecting, like some of those BBC ghost stories have, yeah. um, where I'm like, "That's a new thing I haven't seen before." Um, I'm constantly looking for that. That it's it's such like an addiction where I'm constantly looking yeah. for the thing that will thrill me in a way I've never you know seen it before.
0: Yeah, because I mean, I'm a big fan of that thing. If there's a couple good scenes or great scenes in a movie, mm-hmm. especially horror movies, especially ones after you've seen as many as we have, that's enough to get me interested a lot of the time. Oh, yeah. There's a couple oh, cool yeah. moments or cool practical effects. And so that's where we do the search. So we're, we appreciate those who have taken that journey with us over this last very difficult couple years obviously and especially this year and now we're reaching december so it's a uh, good good all-around that we're effort that we're making it (laughs) to the show yeah
1: we have um some really cool shows coming up in december i will go ahead and say our next show in addition to what we um, are about to watch over the Thanksgiving holiday, we have um, journalist and critic and just amazing all around horror nerd Clark Collis joining us um, to talk about his new book, um, You've Got Red on You, which is the history of Shaun of the Dead, um, which I'm really excited. I started reading it a couple days ago and oh, my God, it's so just Amazing, how kind of deep it gets into the creation of like where the ideas come from it's oh, got cool. storyboards, it's got sketches and just it's it's wonderful. we'll have to and make then, him
0: bring some uh zombie pics to the table for that one, I think we'll no doubt yeah.
1: And then the last uh, episode of the year, the last episode of December, we do our 2021 top 10 countdown each. Yeah. Um. And uh, that's this year. is a big question, Alric. How are we handling like streaming things, like Midnight Mass or Evil? It's um, all are we Only on. doing films. It's all films? on. Nope. It's all no, on I, think, any, I think if you want to go that media.
0: direction, you can. Um. I'm I'm down for that this time uh because one of those ones you just mentioned is just was going to be on my list no matter what so i i was um, thinking
1: brand new cherry flavor is probably in there somewhere true. Like, yeah there's...
0: again it would be hard i mean unless you want to do a thing where we do 10 films and you put you can place next to that a couple tv type other thing that could be fun too. um cheat how you want i don't
1: know i'm kind of i'm all for just 10 best horror 10 projects right. of all the right. year
0: I mean, oh, I know gosh. mine will be more film, but you, you'll you be tough, though, because your graphic novels will be, you'll end up eating too many. Graphic
1: spots, novels. I yeah. I think you need,
0: need to do that as a side, a sidebar. I right? think,
1: yeah, I probably would because books as well. Like, I yeah. definitely dig. Because
0: part of it's the ranking too. of like, what, what did we love to, you know, because a lot of them, people might not have caught up to all of them. So, yeah. um, okay, well, that will be fun. And uh, yes, thank you all for the support. And thank you for listening. And uh, I even have a few picks to catch up to after your list. So that's good.
1: That's awesome, yeah, I have a couple that I just wrote down as well that I need to catch up on. Night comes for us. I I think I might go watch it tonight.
0: Oh, and when you ended the show that's the perfect ending you said something like there might be another drifting school out there. Well, guess what I I just found something that I am gonna be sending you that I found from Japan from a couple years later called Haunted School. And it looked really cool. So, okay. So this is why the journey continues.
1: That's my Sunday afternoon watch yep. while I'm doing laundry. So yep. I'm in. Excellent.
0: Q, Q journey to take <laughs> us out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys. Have an awesome turkey day. The Colors of the Dark podcast is a Fangoria production. Producers and co hosts are Rebecca McKendry and Elric Kane. Executive producers are Tara Ainsley and Abby Gould. Associate producer is Jessica Soff of Amir. Sonic branding by Michael Rodriguez. And of course, our amazing sound engineer, Ernie Hurtado.